Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to My Millennial Career. My name is Shelley Johnson. I'm a HR professional. Hey, Em. Hey, Shell. I'm Emily Bowen and I work for a business called Forsyth's Recruitment and HR. Today on the show, we're talking about fear. All of us experience fear and it can have a significant impact on our career. It can help or hinder us in a lot of different ways. And we have Dr. Amy Silver joining us on the podcast today to unpack this concept of fear. And Amy is a clinical psychologist and speaker. She focuses on the control of fear for high performance at work. She facilitates executive teams in building psychological safety, and she has decades of experience helping people to have more courage and more courageous conversations safely. On this podcast, the whole purpose is to help you build a career you love. And when we're controlled by fear, that's difficult to do. So this episode, we're going to learn how to control our fears instead of being controlled by them. Shell, it's because we're striving to be the best and so is Newcastle Permanent. They're making changes to become Australia's favourite banking experience. Head on over to newcastlepermanent.com.au to see for yourself. Hey, Amy, how are you? Hey, I'm good. How are you? We're cold. Yeah, we are cold. (laughs) We're all all rugged up. If you could see us, all of us are rugged up. Amy's got a beanie on because it's fresh around Victoria and New South Wales. Yeah, we're making the shift into winter. I swear it was only a week ago I was saying to a colleague, it's so warm. I wonder when winter is going to hit. And And then then winter is coming. Yeah, Yeah. winter is coming. (laughs) And we've also been talking just uh, before we started recording about your book. Amy, uh, because I know Shelley in particular um, has, well, what did you, knocked it over in one go. So I'm holding the book up. It's called The Loudest Guest. And by the end of this podcast, you are going to jump on and buy this book because I had to tell you, Em, I... I was so, so excited to read it and I read it in one sitting or I was actually kind of standing. I had my little baby, three month old in my arms, walking around the house reading this book because I could not put it down. It is such good content. And today we're really going to be talking about this book and what it means to get, I guess, up close and personal with our fear. And Amy, I'm really interested. What inspired you to write this book called The Loudest Guest? Oh, thanks, guys, for having me. This is really nice. This is going to be fun. It is going to be fun. <laughs> um, the book was written in, you know, in last year in crazy COVID. So that's, I guess, what inspired me was I had time and capability and, um, you know, ability to focus. And I really wanted to get something out because there's a huge amount of knowledge that we have in psychology that seems to be trapped in academia or in therapy. And, you know, my background is clinical psychology. I'm very well trained in in a number of different therapies and they're all wonderful. They've all got bits that we can all take from. And I don't think that that should be exclusive to people who have a diagnosis or to those who care about academics um, papers. So I, I really felt like I wanted to extract some of this stuff because I think fear which is what the book is about. I think fear is something that is um, absolutely the loudest guest in our head. It's the thing that creates the most noise for us. Um, it decides a lot of our our choices. And I think that awareness of it is, in, is absolutely crucial for us to get the best out of ourselves. And I don't think that that stuff should just live somewhere where it's not accessible. So my intention was get it out, get it usable. COVID's here. Um, we need to master fear. It's a really important um, period of time where we actually have a, a level of closeness to fear. We're all feeling a little bit more vulnerable than we ever have done before. So let's learn how to deal with it. 
I think uh, something we'll probably talk about as we have a chat today is this idea that we do need fear, albeit too much of it uh, is where it can become detrimental and this idea, um, which is your idea, Amy, of it being a commentator versus a controller. Because it's my millennial career, we'll, I guess, also use a lot of examples that go to the role of fear in our career or the influence of fear in our career. But I imagine that much of what we'll talk about, it exists beyond just careers. This is something, I mean, fear is something that plays out in all parts of our life. Yeah, it does. And it's one of those things that often if we have an avoidance strategy as a way of coping with the fear, you know, we kind of notice that. But sometimes we don't notice it. It's sort of insidious to our lives. We can sort of start to label our personality in a certain way, or uh, we don't like things when in fact it's not about liking. It's actually about, you know, not wanting to approach it because uh, we feel that there's a risk involved. Um, and so once we start to really develop this relationship with fear, we see it all over the place. And that's a good thing. As you say, I don't, I don't ever want anybody to think that fear is a bad thing. We, we never want to be fearless. Um, fear is a wonderful provoker of energy. I actually wrote a blog yesterday and, or it went out today, but, um, about fear. I feel like fear is the source of, um, life. Like it's the energy that we have, you know, it's excitement and it's thrilling and it's uncomfortable, but it's like growth on the other side. And it's, there's all sorts of exciting things related to this, but it's when it gets out of control or when it's controlling us, that there's a bit of a danger. And, and just before we get too far, I think, although I'm using the word fear, um, as a bit of a catch-all really for anything to do with worries or anxieties or doubts or um, insecurities or anything that's in that sort of ilk because we're just talking about a spectrum here. So we've got like phobias like spider phobias or heights or something at one end but we've got those really niggly sort of doubts and um, and that sort of going around in circles ruminating about things or um, thinking a, a, about the future or the past in a way that's not helpful. Those are also included in fear. And I love in the book, um, obviously the loudest guest is is the whole premise of the book that fear is a guest and actually we need to, instead of what, what I would probably tend to do when I have a self-doubt or an insecurity or some kind of fear is either try to fully block it out and go, I'm just going to compartmentalise that and forget about it or I kind of totally cave into it and it becomes this all-consuming thing in my life. And and I guess I'm really interested to know how do you change that relationship with fear instead of really suppressing it? How do we move more into, into a healthier relationship with fear that allows us to be empowered? Can I just jump in there because, you know, just love to create a double barrel question, <laughs> but I can't help but think as I'm hearing, Amy, you talk about, uh, you used the word avoidant before, but then Shell, you've just described that you can go from one extreme to the other. I'd be interested in understanding your perspective, Amy, on different responses to fear and can we categorise people to go, well, you're an avoider, you're, a, you know, I guess maybe it's that fight, flight or it is, yeah. freeze. Right. Exactly. That's what it so is we've, in So we've really loaded you up there. <laughs> and, and my memory's not great, so you'll have to take me right back to the beginning. Um, we're just getting too excited and <laughs> we're on a roll. <laughs> so yeah, that, look, the, you know, the very basic thing that's happening in our body is that we're having a response to something and that response is um, a signal to our body to get ready for something and that's all that's happening that's a physical response that's happening and then we choose several options we've got the fight flight or freeze um, or we've got let's engage the clever part of our brain and actually decide whether we want to freeze flight or fight and, and what, what is it that we actually want to do that will serve as well. So that's part of the conversation that we want to have with it. If we deny it, if we don't allow it space, we're trying to pretend that it's not there. We try and cover it up. So my analogy all the way through the book and in life is that there's a this party going on in my head, right? And mine's a beautiful cocktail party with, you know, clinking glasses and festoon lighting and sun, sunset and 
So you, your party can be whatever you like it to be, but that's mine. Silk dresses, I could go on. And uh, at my party, I've got a guest called Fear, and Fear is the one that's following me around. Now, Fear wants me to be safe. That's what it's trying to do. That's what Fear's function is, is to make me ready for something that's going to go wrong. If I allow Fear to do what it wants to do, it's basically going to take over and decide what happens at this party, who I speak to, who I don't speak to, uh, how loud the music is, and the party becomes Fear's version of the party. And I sort of sink back to the back of the party, maybe in my imagination, you know, it's to, to a couch at the back of the room. And Fear sort of takes control. And every time I try and stand up, it goes, don't worry, I've got this. You sit down. I, I'm, I'm going to control this party for you. And I think that what we want to do is not pretend that fear is not there because fear is a guest at our party. It is part of our life. It is always going to be there. It is always available to us to have a conversation about the risks that it can see. We always want it to be there. Any time that we pretend that it isn't there, you know, I imagine sort of muffled tape across its mouth or, you know, squashing it down on a couch while I try and have a conversation with someone else. And I, I really imagine this idea of battling with fear you know, well, it's just going to be a case of it's just going to push through and potentially a time that I don't want it to be, or I'm not going to hear what the messages are that it's telling me. And so then I won't be able to judge and change my course of action, you know, dependent on, on what they see, that those risks that it sees. And I want to be able to hear those messages. So the relationship thing is really about being able to be turning towards fear and going, look, okay, I'm the host of my party. I've got a vision of what I want for my party. You're a guest. Let's try and figure this out. You see things that I don't see or I don't want to see. Tell me what you see. Let me strip that of all the drama and crazy. Um, let's have a conversation and then let me make you feel safe enough to move forward so that we can move, travel through this together because we want a partner. I don't think we want to be fearless. We don't want to deny that it's there. A whole layer of shame and guilt and all bad stuff kind of get layered on. It's got like these best friends kind of that flank it, you know, that kind of it gives it support. So we want to be able to face all of our relations, all of these different guests in our in our uh, party and and decide on the best course of action for us. Do we have types? And I'm going to say this is a really important thing that I think is really of value is that we could look at all the different fears that you have, whether it's social, career, intimate, it could be a physical fears, it could be any sort of range of fears that you have. And what you find scary and, you know, uh, difficult because your fear voice is really loud, I might not. So, but that doesn't make us types. It's actually, I've got, for example, with my physical fears, um, I listen to my physical fears quite a lot. So I don't jump out of planes. I don't do kind of, you know, these huge um, brave things. And so I'm working on that. I'm working on that by doing a couple of things that, you know, push me physically. But in other areas, I'm really, really, really courageous and I and I fight my fear and I know what to do about it. And so it's not a type. It's it's almost like uh, you could you could get a diagnostic with me about the different areas where you are fearful and what you do about it to give you a bit of a, yeah, a diagnostic on on where you could push forward. So it's more that you can then use that to sort of push forward in different areas. So for example, if I'm very brave in my, you know, talking on stage or whatever it is, um, I'm quite, you know, people would look at me and kind of go, God, that's so courageous. And I go, yeah, no, you know, and then I, there's other bits of my life that I kind of go, God, I can't even, you know, see a spider without kind of screaming. So, you know, this is, well, what have I done in the stage version of fear and how can I use that to help me with the spider? So we actually can use this, these different layers of which we are fearful and how we've progressed through that to help us in other areas of our life. Do you mean so it's like a muscle muscle memory that we can apply if we're strong in one area, like say I might be confident and, and have lower fear in my career, I can use that muscle that I've built in that area to then apply it to the areas where I might be 
fearful of going to the gym because I'm embarrassed <laughs> about how people see my lack exactly. of fitness. I shouldn't <laughs> laugh at you. You, should, you know it's true. But so it, she's like, oh, yeah, yeah that makes oh, sense. It's, just, it's a recurring theme. <laughs> this one's come up before. That's exactly right. And so we can become our own teacher in that respect. You know, well, how can I do it there? How did I do it there? How did I build a strong relationship with my fear where I can kind of go, yeah, I hear you and I'm doing this anyway you know, that muscle that you've built there, where else can we use it? Yeah. And I think that's wonderful to, for us because we, there are areas of our lives that we are being brave in or more brave in than other areas. I find sometimes I'm really good at tricking myself into not uh, admitting perhaps that it is fear that is actually driving my decision making. So whether or not I do go and do that thing, can you talk? Yeah, and yeah. is that healthy? Yeah. <laughs> let's use Anne as our little um, – I've really you know, walked into and opened the door on that one, haven't case I? Case study today. Is that not admitting the fear something we should be doing? Because I would see that as ignoring, but what do you think? Because you're the doctor, I think it Amy. depends. It, de- <laughs> it depends if you're – Yeah, should we lay down? <laughs> um, it depends if you are in denial of it or you're using it as a strategy. Does that make sense? So um, I think what can happen if you've got insight to it is that you can choose to listen. I'm not listening to you today because I'm, I'm moving forward. And that to me is it's absolutely useful and really, really helpful. If the way that you move forward on something is you're just going to do it, you don't care what happens, you're going to tune out to kind of like anything that's going on because you are on a mission, then actually you have cut off most of your brain with the sort of, with that determination. So I think it's actually goes back to the first stage in the model that's in the book, which is recognition and just trying to understand, am I using that as a tool? And is that okay? What are the consequences? Um, where does it bite me again? Because I think things like, for example, the imposter syndrome is often because we've overridden the fear and then we've done all retrospect kind of like, oh my God, what have, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not actually really this person that they think that I am. So I think it's, it's just worth unpacking, you know, and, and I can't give any right or wrongs. I know that, for example, last week, it was my daughter's rollerblading or roller disco party. And at one point, she's turned to me and said, you want to jump, you know, do you want to get skates and come on with, you know, all her 13 year old friends. And my instinct was no, 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 you know, I don't want to. That was, you know, and then I'm watching them do it. And I was like, actually, I do quite fancy it. But I'm just, you know, really, you know, the fear voice was kind of like, don't look like a fool. You're a 50 year old woman. You don't want to be, you know, (laughs) rollerblading with your 13 year old kids and it's going to be hanging onto the side and it's la la la. So I, I chose not to. Um, But I didn't really choose that, you know, my fear voice did. What I do know is that if I had, for example, pushed forward on my physical fears the week before and I jumped out of a plane or I'd done, you know, something kind of quite dramatic, I know that I wouldn't have even thought about not putting on the rollerblades. So there's something about, you know, pushing forward with your fears that makes the next decision easier to to push forward. Mm. I think that recognition, even what, what, at some level in your subconscious, you're like, I'm trying not to admit that it's there. So there is an element of recognition in that. And I think Mm. if we look at the career context, so some of the things, and I actually wrote some down because I was thinking, what are the fears that impact people in their career? Because it's such a strange dynamic. Um, We spend so much of our time at work and there's so many kind of power dynamics in our workplace context. But some of the fears we see would be an unwillingness maybe to resign from a job in an environment that's toxic because we're fearful of something new or maybe um, not willing to put ourselves out there for a promotion because we're afraid we'll get rejected or um, not wanting to ask for a pay rise because we're um, afraid of how our boss might perceive us. And so I don't know if you can think of any others. The other one that comes to mind for me is this likability versus respect piece. So you hear from time to time this question of, would you prefer to be liked or respected? And that's not necessarily the question we're here to answer today, but often to be respected, I think you need to maybe stand up for what you believe in or have an opinion on something. And there's a higher risk of offending someone. Of offending someone or maybe just being different and maybe not feeling like, well, if I disagree, 
maybe I'm not going to be as likeable. Mm. And I think that's probably fear-based too. And and I guess I'm interested, Amy, as you hear those, I suppose, examples, what do you think for our listeners, uh, if they're resonating with any of these, what would advice would you give them of how they should be responding? Oh, I don't know about anybody's particular experiences or where they're coming from, so I wouldn't say. But what I think is really important is that you start noticing um, and start notice again. One 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 of the things that I think is really important is that a one-off decision to do or not to do something is kind of okay, but a pattern is really interesting, and then you want to kind of really see. So, for example, if you you feel that you're in a meeting and you don't speak when you want to speak, and you feel that quite a lot, that's a worthy sort of, in, of investigation. What am I worried about? What am I overthinking here what do I think is going to happen if I speak or the opposite you know if you speak up in meetings and then you do a whole screen of the room and and you feel that the energy has changed um you know what 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 is that pattern about and what can I what can I learn about the choices that I'm making and whether that is fear-based or whether that is my goal-based so you know what 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 we talk about in the book is the, this idea that what fear wants for you versus what you want is is different. So fear wants to protect you. It wants to keep you safe. So that's either going to arc up or it's going to avoid. Um, that will not always serve you. So we just want to get close to, do you know what you want? Do you know what fear wants for you? So I think it's this recognition piece, but it's also asking the question, how is this serving me? How is doing what I'm doing serving me? Um, and is it serving me or is it serving fear? So those are the questions that I think are worthy of, of looking at when you when you spot a pattern. You know, there are s- plenty of times where, for example, you might have a fear voice kind of saying, oh, don't say that. That's, you know, people are going to absolutely you know, and you might kind of go, yeah, I agree. People are really going to not like me and it's not going to go well for me if I say that, you know, and you might choose not to say it. If you're constantly overriding it or if you constantly feel that you're you're listening to it, then it's a pattern that's worthy of investigation. How do we bring a level of objectivity to that investigation? Given that this party is existing in our own minds, it can yeah. be so difficult to take ourselves out of ourselves and, and look back in objectively? So a couple of things. First of all, my favourite tool, and, and I'm sure you talk about it a lot, is um, writing things down. Um, and I don't know, you know, you, you can either do this, you know, really formally in a journal, you know, that you kind of, you know, religiously write in and it can be a beautiful journal or it can just literally be scrap paper that you throw in the bin afterwards. It really doesn't matter. But I think what I, one of the techniques that I really like is um, having a, uh, like side by side pages. So, you know, two pieces of paper or either side of a, of a notebook. And at the top of the page on one side, I write what I think. Um, and anytime I start hearing what fear thinks, because I'm trying to personify fear in a way so that I can have this conversation with it, I go to the other page and I change color pen and I write at the top of the page fear and underline it and I write fears narrative. And I just try to extract the difference between what I think and what fear thinks and how much, you know, sometimes it's just a stream of words kind of like that fear uses. Um, And sometimes it's repetitive. Sometimes it's really vicious. Sometimes I end up like I'm not writing anything about me. I'm about what I think. It's, It's all about what fear thinks. So I think writing is a really good clarifier to sort of spot some of this. Yeah, you can just ask yourself questions. The, the book, it has got a whole series of questions to ask yourself as you're writing. And the other thing is that I think that it's really valuable to get feedback. Now, you know, that is something that I, I really recommend to people, particularly when I do one-on-one um, work with people, uh, coaching, is that I would say to them, okay, can you get five people that you know? Um, did I write this in the book? I'm pretty sure I did. Um, it, it, five people that you know, or now I'm testing you. I think it's towards the end. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> Shell, you've read it. <laughs> I've got so much of this book folded over to go. I've got to go back and like reread. No, I think there's a, there's a there's a five questions that you can go and ask someone else. Uh, where do you see fear holding me back? Where do you see fear making me more 
aggressive than I could be? Where do you see fear show up for me? And those are just useful questions. You know, if you can do that with somebody that you love, or you know, is not going to be doing it from a, a, a damaging perspective, then that's another way of getting an objective opinion. The other, sorry, the other, <laughs> just thought, the other way that I really like is doing a timeline, a fear timeline. So you, again, it's in the book, but the idea of writing a timeline on your life and trying to work out where has fear been in this journey? What, what relationship have I learned to build with fear? You know, what have, what armor have I put on in order to cope? Um, and does that help? Does it hinder? Where did it come from? Why was it there? Um, and really understanding yourself in the context of this relationship with fear, your whole life has been a, a negotiation between you and your fear voice um, and, and understanding that and understanding that you can change that, that it's not, that you're not fused, you know, you're not this, you're not the same, that fear has got this purpose to keep you safe, but you've got goals that are probably bigger than, than anything that fear mm. ever wants for you. It's really interesting because you see, like, if we go back to the beginning where we talked about ignoring or suppressing yeah. a fear, what you're saying there of writing it down sometimes can be very confronting because usually if we're blocking or ignoring the fear that we have, and let's go back to, I don't want to speak up in a meeting because I'm afraid I'll, I'll get people offside. If we go back to what the actual root of that fear might be and we start writing it down, it can be that confronting thing of, you know, I'm not good enough or my opinions don't count. And and when you see it on paper, it can be very daunting. There's an ugliness to it. I think that we've worked so hard up to that point to not have that conversation with ourselves <laughs> because to your point we've been suppressing that the other thing I would encourage is if you sit down to write – and this goes for this exercise, but even any other topic that you're writing on, it gives you a sense of control because you are drawing those thoughts out of your own brain and putting them onto paper and it can help you organise them. But you might not be willing to write those things down straight away. So it might mean, I imagine, coming back more than once to that list and adding something else or to just sit there for, even if it doesn't come to you straight away, give yourself time and permission to not be judgmental because, yeah, very, it can be very confronting. Yeah, and, and with that... the. Just with the confronting bit, I think if you feel that before you start writing, you know, you have that sense, give yourself a time limit. So you're only going to think about this for five minutes um, or you're only going to do it in this circumstance. You know, you're only going to have this conversation with your fear voice when you're walking on the beach or when you're with your dog or, you know, something that you know is going to kind of make you feel grounded. Um, so you create those boundaries for yourself. You're never out of control of this. You know, this is a conversation that you've been having all your life. It's just, we're just exposing it. Um, and so, yeah, give yourself some sort of time limit if that's a concern. So let's go to a break. When we come back, I think this is probably one of your favourite parts of the bookshelf and it's all about fats. So we'll hear what <laughs> fats are. Innocent, <laughs> we'll yes. talk about fats, yeah. Money, property, careers, health, small business. We love learning how to do all of these well so we can live our best life. That's why we've made podcasts focus on a variety of topics. Check out My Millennial Money, My Millennial Money Express, My Millennial Property, My Millennial Health, My Millennial Business, Gen Z money and you to me, you to you, you to us, which is just about sexual and reproductive health. Find these wherever you're listening to this podcast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
So you're right, Em, this is probably um, the part of the book that I found the most insightful and it's you've got a name for it called FATS, F-A-T-S, and that is our fear automatic thoughts, mm-hmm. Amy. And so when I read this part, I was just like mind blown. This is so true for myself, for so many people that I've worked with and it comes up so much in the workplace. And, and if I just... I won't do this as much justice as you. So why don't you explain to us what the fear automatic thought process is? The fear automatic thought process is is trying to get close to, and again, we use writing uh, to try and understand and get into this conversation with fear so that we can evaluate it. We really, we really want to move into, as you said before, an objective position where we can almost like a scientist kind of go, okay, I hear what you're saying. And do I, do I want to take that on? And so the first step of that is, is really identifying what is that fear voice saying? And it is automatic. It is well used. It is a, a a well-worn path, if you like, that fear has, and it will be pulling forward whatever justification it can to keep you safe. So it will be using past stories or imaginations or drama or um, things that it's heard, you know, it's going to be pulling on whatever it can to convince you to stay safe, right? And and thank you very much. That's your job. Uh, but we want to evaluate it and kind of go, is that fair? Is it useful? And so in the book, there is a, a, a template that you can follow with questions um, that help you you know, go through this, name, name what the thought is. Then you kind of go, well, how much do I believe it? How much do I believe that thought? So the belief is I'm going to, you know, everyone's going to hate me and I'm not going to be able to uh, cope if I speak up in this meeting or I'll never, I'll never succeed. I'll never, you know, get where I want to be. Um, and how much do you believe that? Well, in the moment, I believe it's sort of 90%. Uh, and then you go through a process of evaluating that fear voice. And there's a whole series of questions that you can ask, some of which will be relevant for different circumstances. But the questions are essentially trying to examine, is this true? Is what it's mm. saying true? What what evidence have you got that this is true? And then you've got all sorts of things like, um, is it useful? So even if it is true, is that a useful thought to think right now? Mm. Is that actually going to help me in what I know I need to do right now to, to think like that? Um, and there's a whole series of questions like, would your what would your best friend say if they knew that you were having this thought? Or what will you think about this thought in the future? You know, all sorts of tricks that you can use to to do that objective thinking and stand out of it and then you rate the thought again so you're trying to not dismiss the thought as not being true it's probably got an element of truth otherwise you wouldn't have thought it but we don't want it to be um, so powerful that we've got no flex here, uh, no flex to, to change our behavior depending on this circumstance. We don't want the drama, the hyper, uh, oh, I can never say this word. I had to do the audio book for the, for the book recently. And I had to say hyperbole, hi- hyperbole. That's the word. And I was like, <laughs> yes. is it hyperbole? What is it? Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it isn't, it isn't spoken how it's, how it sounds, but <laughs> can we just dig in there? Cause I was yes. talking to a friend of mine last week and she said, And I think maybe this is why it resonated so much with me. So she was going for an interview and um, she said to me, I just know I'm not the most capable and talented person. I know that I don't really deserve the job. I'm going to go for it. But I I just, yeah, I just, and it was like this, it was spoken as a fact. Yes. A hundred percent. I'm, I'm not good enough, essentially, is what she was saying. And as I read the, the fats, the fear automatic thoughts, I was like, oh, that's what's happening. She's having this fear automatic thought. And if we look at what you're saying, is that true? Well, if you have a candidate pool of 200 people, chances are yeah, she's could probably, be. she yeah. might not be the most yeah, capable and talented <laughs> of the group. But what I see happening that you described so beautifully in the book is you have a fear automatic thought, but then it's not the thought necessarily that's the problem. It's the behaviour that emerges yeah. that can be problematic. So for her, what then she was describing that happened at interview was she, she this is how she responds. And we always laugh about this as interviewers because we, we don't like when people do this, but they do it often. 
I ask a question as an interviewer and they come back and say, well, I'm not sure if this is what you're asking, but I think what I would do is. (laughs) And so it's all this apologetic language. It's like, no, just don't, like you don't need to apologise for that. But because she's got this fear of I'm not good enough or I'm not capable, then it comes out so clearly in an interview process. And then actually what it's almost self fulfilling in some ways and so I don't know what your thoughts are of how she could deal with it how she all, could work all we, through all it. we need to do when we when we find something that we fused with so it is a fusion between kind of what fear thinks and what what we end up thinking which is you know it, it's the, it's the same and when our fear voice is fused with us and we we aren't being able to separate the two you know it actually is the truth it is it is the truth that you know all we need to do is insert a little word like I might not be the, you know, the most useful person in the in this. Um, I might not be the best person in this candidate in this pool of candidates, or um, I'm not necessarily the best person. But I'm going to show them why I might be, you know. Or you just add. You just don't have to necessarily go the complete opposite, which is the, you know, the denial, I'm the best person, you know, which is almost like turning you off to the nuances of the room or turning you off to the risks that fear can see. So that's the denial piece. We don't want to do that, but we want to moderate this, this strap line that we're being fed so that it makes room for us to the possibility of something different happening from what the fear voice says. There's a possibility that the fear voice is just one of a spectrum of things. And again, one of the tools that we haven't talked about yet, but in in the book is around the idea of you've got a whole party in your head. You've got all these other guests here. You know, let's try and hear from any of the other guests, not just that fear voice, just because it's the loudest one doesn't mean that the other ones don't have a voice. So what does excitement say about this opportunity? And what would excitement's automatic voice be? Or what would hope have to say about this same scenario. So why are we fusing with this unhelpful, you know, useful, but but in that moment sort of really hardcore unhelpful, let's broaden our perspective and invite any of the other guests to come forward and give us a different alternative um, way of thinking about this. And none of them are going to be right. None of them, you know, because you're the host of the party, not any of these guests. They've all got their own perspective. And our job as the host is to figure out what's the most useful here for me? What do I want to focus on? What's going to help me shine? What's going to help me do the thing that I want to do? I guess we're the ones that are holding the microphone and we can hand that microphone around to those different guests from time to time. (laughs) I uh, had started to think about the role of motivation because when I consider your mate, Shell, it's like, okay, she's obviously got some level of motivation to go for this job because she's still chosen, even though she's fearful, to apply to attend the interview, but she's pulling up that little bit short in regards to her self-belief. Amy, do you mind talking to how motivation and fear interact with each other? Oh, what a good question. You know, this is my favourite bit of um, doing interviews is that it expands my thinking, you know, because people come at this from such different directions. So let's have a think. Um, so what I what I know to be true is that what we do, our action, is is independent of fear, right? That's that's our goal. Is that we use fear in as much as we use excitement and hope and love and all the other sort of um, guests that we've got. So it isn't, I absolutely believe that that's part of the strategy here is that we've got to separate our actions from what fear wants, because I think fear wants us to play a smaller game. Where this ties into motivation then is deciding on what it is that we want, If we don't know what we want, or if our fear voice has got very loud, um, then it makes sense that the fear voice is going to be dominating. So there is a really big part of this, which is trying to evaluate what you want and disentangle that from what fear wants. So it's a really interesting conversation to have with yourself. And there are I mean, I have a thing called the Courage Club, which is essentially like a six week sprint for people who want to push forward with their courage. And then they end up sort of after they've done the sprint, they end up in this network of people who are all sort of trying to push forward with their different fears. And, 
you know, there is a conversation consistently about, well, I don't know what I want. You know, I know what fear wants, but I don't know what I want. And how do I use, how do I work out what I want and, and what my motivation is if fear has always been part of that conversation? And my my feedback to that is the where I've got to in the areas that I am most successful in my life I have moved into a position with fear where fear shows me exactly where to go. So fear kind of waves a flag and goes, don't go over here because this is really scary. And I go, oh, cool. All right. That's where we're heading then. And so I almost (laughs) have in the areas where I am really strong, I have started to use fear as my guide and fear is the motivating factor. It becomes the motivating factor because my biggest motivator in life is not to be limited by my fears. So if I've created that relationship with it where I kind of go, oh, you, you've got the spidey senses that spot things that are potentially dangerous. Uh, well, I never want that to be enough of a reason for me not to head there. I want to go there and and then make the decision when I'm there about whether um, I want to keep it or not. So I definitely now use fear as my motivation to move forward in those areas of my life that I'm dealing well. Can I just ask, what was one of those areas that you went, Oh, fear's saying, red flag, Amy, don't come here. And you went, I'm going there. Uh, Going to a publisher with this book was a real moment of, I've written books before that have been self-published. This could have easily been self-published. You know, there is lots of advantages to going self-publishing because it's, you know, it's quicker and all sorts of things. Um, And so there's lots of reasons that you could use, you know, fear would kind of say that to me don't go to the publisher, just get it done, you know, and I'd go, oh, why don't you want me to go to the publisher? You know, what's that about? Oh, because you think I'm going to get rejected, righto. Um, And then, you know, knowing that if I had self-published this book, um, I would have still had that nagging fear, you, you can't publish a book you know? Um, so so it's sort of like, okay, so it waved the flag, don't go to the publisher, which pushes me to the publisher. So then I can get it published. And now I can turn to my fear voice and go, you know, well, you were wrong. You know, I could. (laughs) I love so much of what you're saying to me feels like you're separating Amy from your fear. Yeah. And I think often I feel like my fear and me are one and the same. Yeah. Like Shelly and her all her insecurities, whereas I think what you're saying is, no, no, those things are separate and actually just recognising and taking the moment is probably the biggest step you'll make to go, I am not my fear. Like that is not me. And for my friend who's at, going to those interviews, acknowledging her fear in that moment of not being good enough is not actually her. Like it's it's not not her. It's not her. It's, it's a warning system and that she's got very good at listening to. And she's got so good that sometimes it feels like it is the, the absolute truth. And that's what we started off saying, you know, we want to move into this commentating position where we can hear it, but it's just chatter. You know, it's advice in the same way that all these other beautiful pieces of advice are floating around in your head. We just haven't really tuned in as well to those ones. So for example, my favorite one, uh, my favorite voice or the one that I really like helping people kind of tune into is the voice of self-compassion. Well, that's a guest in our party, you know, uh, a really important one, but often sitting way, way at the back, you know, and, uh, well, that's a shame that we've got this real sort of like fledgling relationship with this pretty important guest at our party. So, you know, just being able to move into a position of knowing that you have control over what is going on in your head, moving into a position of manipulating these different perspectives in order to achieve the goal that you want. And, and, you know, as I just said, I think fear is a beautiful motivator, a beautiful motivator. If we, if we learn to use it properly, um, we just don't need to listen to what it's telling us to do all the time. Speaking of compassion, I've found, I've certainly not mastered it, but I do try and do a lot of conscious thought when I experience someone else, maybe not being their best selves. And one of the first thoughts I try and, um, I guess, bring to the front of my mind is, 
okay, where could that be coming from for that person? And is it coming from a place of fear, a place of insecurity? You know, have they acted out or have they um, expressed themselves in what seems like quite an abrupt or assertive way that is maybe a bit aggressive or feels like they're on the defensive? And rather than holding that against them or feeling like, oh, I can't believe Shelley's being like that, actually going, oh, that's interesting. I wonder where that's coming from for her. I wonder why she's behaving that way. And then I don't necessarily know exactly what the root fear is or what the voice in her head is, but I at least just try and acknowledge, oh, maybe that's coming from a place of insecurity. Maybe it's not about me. It's her thing. And I guess I've found that's really helped me be more compassionate about other people, but also not carry the weight of someone else maybe having a go at me or doing something negative. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, yes, yes, yes. Also like beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And when I work in cultures trying to sort of help them become more courageous, either in their communication or whatever, when we, when we work at the people leaders space, uh, anybody in, in sort of more senior roles, we're looking at that as a way, as a tool of creating psychological safety and, and, um, deep trust. So yes, 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 yes. And if I can ask you a question, do you run that same lens for yourself that's exactly what I was just about to ask her because I'm like you do your father people do you do that uh, look I'd like to think I do but again I think it's a practice it is and it's um it certainly still takes a lot of conscious energy and so I'll try and sit with that thought going right I've obviously got an aversion to this uh what's stopping me where is that coming from and then I just try and practice, but it certainly holds me up and because it's in my own mind. Yeah, those questions that you just rattled off so easily with, you know, with other people in mind, those are the questions that you could ask yourself, you know, almost daily or almost at every opportunity that you have to reflect on your behaviour. And that is, that is you getting the visibility of what is going on for me and how much control am I handing over to fear? You know, uh, yes, I feel fearful, but do I need to be defensive? Yes, I feel fearful, mm. but do I need to be avoidant? Um, it's just those questions, you know, how is it How is it impacting my choices without me even consenting? And I find another question if I'm um, trying to manage my own behaviour you know, you get that text message or that email and you just want to reply emotionally and hit send, I'll often try and stop myself, and this probably happens daily, and go, is that actually going to serve the situation well, serve me well? Chances are it's not. So, yeah, I think certainly um, those questions are in my mind, but I don't take them for granted. I still work pretty hard to make sure I'm asking myself. And I I am conscious of time. We've probably got time for one more question. And I was just thinking if any of the guests at the party, like out of any of them, what would be the one that most counteracts fear for you? Wow. What would you say if we've got a someone that like, because I think we do spend, if he's the loudest guest, well, what's going to help us most counteract that? I, my personal story, and this is just mine, so you would need to make up your own, but I think for fear, it's love. And I think for self-criticism, it's self-compassion. And I think the four of them are really important. So if, for example, we take your poor friend that we're kind of psychoanalyzing here. Um, <laughs> um, if she'll, she, she'll get so much out of this, so it's good. If, if she approaches that interview with love, um, love for the job, love for the people that she's near. And I don't know, this is, you might this might be a bit woo-woo for you, so I don't know, but I'm quite woo-woo. But the idea of, you know, service, you know, might be easier than love. I don't know whether that's an easier concept for some people to come with, but that you are seeing um, your, the way in which you can benefit this this space, these people with, with, with love, with, with high intention, you know, you're kind of taking yourself out of, 
Um, I've got to prove myself. I've got to do this thing. You know, it's almost like, how do I serve? How do I serve this space? Uh, and pretty much what you just said around, you know, that question of what's the right thing? What's the, what's, what's going to help this situation the best? Um, and that comes from love, you know, and however you want to pull on that, you know, whether it's, you know, you're not necessarily maternal love or anything like that, but it's just, I, I, I'm, I'm here you know, as a beacon of kind of service, you know, I can do stuff, I can help you. And, and that I think interact, it takes you out of self and into, into service. And I think that's probably the biggest uh, counterbalance for fear. Awesome. Thank you so much. This has just been wonderful. I uh, haven't yet read the book in full like Shell has, um, but I'm certainly working my way through it. And this has made me so much more excited to keep going. So, oh, yeah. So good. And even just that last thing of self compassion is the counteract to self criticism. I think everyone listening today is going to need to resonate on that. <laughs> totally. And, yep. and take that time to really process what that looks like. And there's so much practical gold in the loudest guest. So, maybe Make sure you jump on. And Amy, can you tell us how can people find out more about you and about the book? Oh, well, I am trying to develop my millennial um, habits of <laughs> social media. So I am all over that now um, on Insta and all the rest of it. Um, LinkedIn, please, please, please link in with me because I do put out videos and content and I've got a newsletter or not a newsletter. What's it called? A blog. Um, there's heaps of ways um, and join the Courage Club if you feel like you want to push yourself forward. Um, it's a really lovely way of just kind of going, right, next 30 days, this is what I'm doing. I'm focusing on this. Perfect. And the book would be available online. Oh, the book. But- <laughs> Thank you. The book is available everywhere, but it's online. It's on Amazon. It's in bookshops. It's everywhere. It's, it's doing really well. I was sure I'd seen a photo of you in a bookshop with it there. So yeah, do you know I the funny that thing about it- that, that photo is I was with my daughter uh, with that photo and we'd been there the day before to buy something and, and we were taking it back but the day before we saw it in the bookshop and I was like oh you can't take a photo of me today because <laughs> I said look good I said we'll come we're coming back tomorrow we'll we'll take a picture then and when she when she went to post it she went you can't post the one that you look really nice in you've got to post the other one I was like yeah you're right oh, she's challenging your fears <laughs> so, <laughs> you've taught her too well yeah <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, well, thank you so much, Amy. Just an absolute privilege to have you on hanging out with us today. Yeah, thank you. Lovely to talk to you guys. Thank you. It's been awesome. See ya. Bye. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respect to their elders past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. Money, property, careers, health, small business. We love learning how to do all of these well so we can live our best life. That's why we've made podcasts focus on a variety of topics. Check out My Millennial Money, My Millennial Money Express, My Millennial Property, My Millennial Health, My Millennial Business, Gen Z Money, and You To Me, You To You, You To Us, which is just about sexual and reproductive health. Find these wherever you're listening to this podcast. podcast.